Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Good morning, everybody. It is uh, the day before Halloween here in the United States. It's 9.30 a.m. Daily Central Standard or Central savings time whatever i'm done with i'm done with daylight savings times i'm done with the time change can somebody please call washington and tell them to end this entire thing where we jet lag ourselves for a month like twice a year it's just freaking ridiculous so let's get right on uh right on into the vitals here and as everybody knows, there was a drop in price. Uh, we're used to that. Don't freak out. Everybody remain calm and drink coffee. It'll be fine. Right now, the average price of uh, one BTC is 6337 uh, Looks like the high is going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 6356 And it looks like Gemini's pegged low at 6,253 active addresses in the last 24 hours is 600,000 so there was a lot of there clearly there was a lot of um, uh, stuff going on yesterday uh, which caused a you know that's we would assume that there would be activity if there's going to be a, a, a pretty good price drop like what we had uh, active addresses in the last 24 hours or uh, transactions in the last 24 hours is 284,000. The transaction average per hour is 11,800. Uh, 888,000 Bitcoins were sent over the network in the last 24 hours. Uh, that's 37,000 sent per hour with an average transaction value of 3.13. Bitcoin, which is actually kind of down a little bit. That's odd. Uh, median transaction value is up 0 0.039 BTC or about 250 bucks. Block time is pegged at uh, right around 10 minutes, 10 minutes and 35 seconds. 136 blocks were produced over the last 24 hours with an average per hour block uh, production rate of six. The uh, reward per block uh, 0 0.15 BTC in fees. The reward total over the last 24 hours, uh, 1,700 Bitcoin were produced and 20 BTC were uh, uh, taken in fees. Hash rate is down a little bit. It's uh, down 1.35% to f right at 50 exahashes per second. Um Across the board, Ethereum is still below 200 at 197 dollars. Bcash is at 419. Litecoin is below 50 today at 49.49. Ethereum Classic is holding at nine dollars. B 
Bitcoin Gold is at 26.35 and Doge is at 0.0039. Uh, Dogecoin has had, uh, let's see, less trans, yeah, less trans, less transactions the last 24 hours than Bcash. Bcash is doing uh, 28,000. Ethereum Classic is doing 45,000. Uh, Bitcoin Gold is 923. Ethereum itself is doing 617,000 transactions. So that's the vitals for the day. Let's move on to the morning roundup. So the first thing up is that uh, yesterday at approximately the same time, almost every news agency, uh, especially the uh, um, financial news agencies, all posted a story yet one more time about how Bitcoin is going to suck all of the energy out of the earth, blow it into space, and we's all going to die, Annie, kind of thing. Well... They released it all. They they all released their stories roughly at the same time, and apparently what it was is there was a report that was being released and it was embargoed, which means nobody can see it until a, a particular time. Uh, particular time comes up and then it becomes unlocked, and then all the news agencies can grab it, read it, and then uh, write up the report. So that's why we saw within like you know, oh, so like. 15 minutes of, of within 15 minutes like 12 news agencies reported that that bitcoin's going to kill us all um yeah about that report <laughs> um uh, in, so the for pretty much the first thing up in my deck here is that um i've got a couple of tweets here because i went and, and looked at this at this study and there's two things about this um so one of my tweets is, good Lord, this was the study that hit the news wires yesterday. People, this came out of their College of Social Sciences. They have no capability to perform such a study. And I've got a, a, a screenshot here for, for where this came from. This, this report that spells doom and gloom for the entire planet is coming out of the College of Social Sciences from the University of Hawaii at Manoa. All right, so here's their academic units at the College of Social Sciences at University of Hawaii at Manoa. Anthropology, communications, economics, ethnic studies, geography, Peace and conflict resolution, political science, psychology, public administration, public policy, sociology, urban and regional planning, and women's studies. There is not a single department here that has any business doing anything at all reporting on climate change. They don't have the academic wherewithal. They don't have the they don't have the chops. It's not their bag. You know, they're not in atmospheric sciences. They're not in the physical sciences. They're not in, I mean, they've got a, a, a department of geography. No, 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 no. I would much rather have a department of geology coming up with this stuff. No, no, no. That This report is bogus. And here's the second part, second part of that. I have another tweet here that illustrates um, 
why Reddit's founder got arrested for copying a bunch of academic papers from the mainframe at MIT, and that's why he got popped, put in prison, where he apparently killed himself. Okay, in in academic circles, which I I come from, um, this is a racket. And here's here's my tweet about it. So I have to trust you guys to interpret this study because it was performed with public funds at public institutions, yet is still behind a paywall. And no thanks. This is a racket. What I'm referring to is the fact that I can't go get that study. I have to pay. uh, I mean, I can, but I got to pay nine bucks for it. My tax dollars paid for the study. And the study was done at the University of Hawaii, which is a public institution, which means that all their professors and all their researchers are paid with, you guessed it, my money. And I still have to pay nine bucks to read this report that suggests that we's all going to die any, any day now because of Bitcoin. Anybody who reads this garbage and really believes what, what these people have to say are not looking at these two main problems. One is coming out of a university department that has no business doing any type of research along these lines. And two, you're being stolen from and you you cannot read the report unless you pay another 10 bucks for it. So you will actually listen to the interpretations of yahoos who have no business analyzing said report much less the people that generated the report had in writing it so there's my rant for that one uh but do remember that this is how the uh one of the co-founders uh creators of reddit this is how he got thrown into prison because he was tired of this stuff too and he went to the mainframe and he was caught downloading every new paper. And I'm, I'm assuming that he had been doing this for a while. Every new paper that there that MIT had access to, he was downloading the full text versions of it. And when he was caught in his defense, what he said is that the public has paid for all of this. All of this belongs to the public. And publishers like Elsevier and all the other academic uh, journals they got a racket going on. They're making money. They're making money on reports that were paid for by the public trust. All right, and nobody should be putting up with this. Everybody who's in college, if you have the, if you have the guts and you got the way, do the same thing this guy did. Now, like I said, it's, it would take guts, but um, I've done it. Um, believe me, because it is our property. So enough of that. Uh, Bloomberg Crypto tweets out, stable coins are important to the future of the internet economy. And they're linking to, uh, they're linking to their story that is shilling stable coins, which, uh, oh my God. So their, their article title is stable coin battle is for the heart of internet economy. These cryptocurrencies represent an, in, an intermediate concept linking the web and traditional economies without full integration and I'm not going to go on into it but essentially they're shilling stable coins so I automatically now I'm looking automatically at every stable coin possibly even tether although tether's been out you know for quite a while but 
you know, this month we got, we got, um, handed a whole bunch of crap like USDC or United States dollar coin, I guess is what it stands for is one of these, one of these stable coins that they're talking about in, in this thing. And if you've listened to any, a couple of my other shows or listened to anybody else or been on crypto Twitter for longer than four or five days, you should have run across the part of their prospectus that says that under their sole discretion, USDC can just invalidate your account, take your stablecoin away, and you have no recourse. I think the stablecoin movement is the only way that the powers that be, i.e. United States government, other governments, central banks, and their lapdogs, you know, are, or that's the only way that they're going to be able to have a hope in hell of crushing Bitcoin is by supplanting it with their own bullshit coin. Because uh, they can't really kill Bitcoin uh, organically um, in, in so far as like finding the head of the, of the monster and cutting it off like they would normally do. And that's what decentralization brings. So their only other way to do this is to use their lapdog, in this particular case, Bloomberg, to tell people that stable coins are the way. No, they are not the way. They are not decentralized. They're nothing like Bitcoin. If somebody tries to sell you on, on, on a stable coin, you know, don't buy it. And at this point, this article has now made me a fan of Tether. Because at least, although, I, I reserve the right to be completely wrong about Tether. Um, <coughs> sorry, guys, still fighting off cold. Um, Tether's been around a long, long time. And... Um, I, I just still don't see, I just still don't see a problem with it. What I do see is a coordinated attack on the crypto community and the crypto sphere insofar as all of a sudden all these stable coins come out at once. No, 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 no. I ain't buying it for a second. Stay away from anything. If you really, really, really need to have a, a, a cryptocurrency that's pegged to the dollar, just buy Tether. Don't buy USDC, please, for the love of God, or whatever these other 10 stable coins that we got dumped on us this, this month. Just don't do it. Stay as far away from these things as you possibly can. Uh, next up in the deck, I talked about this before, but David Chalm's elixir is, is kind of all over the place, and I guess that's because it's nearing release or something. Um, I tweet out, it's really distressing to see someone of David Chom's stature succumb to greed. Also distressing to see journalists skip something as necessary as providing proof of claims. And what we got here is um, a news story. <clears throat> this, what, it's link, what I'm linking to here is a news story from the Daily Hodel. Uh, they say Ripple co-founder backs new crypto venture promising breakthrough speeds, scalability, and privacy. Chris Larson is among several key blockchain players who have invested in Elixir, a blockchain company launched by cryptographer David Chom, inventor of eCash, a, a precursor of Bitcoin. And somewhere in this, this whole thing, um, it says, and I've got a, a, a screenshot of it in the tweet itself, where the claim is that 
As a graduate student at UC Berkeley in the 1980s, Chom proposed the idea for blockchain, and they give absolutely no evidence that he did any such thing whatsoever. This is bad journalism. Um, I don't know if he did or not, but making a claim like that under the context we're in, and these people are not excluded from understanding the context that we're in, uh, they make... They make this claim and they give absolutely no evidence. Was it in a dissertation? Was it in a talk? Do you have a recording of it? Because if you don't, then he didn't do it. I mean, he may have, he may have like done eCash, but it was not done the way that Bitcoin is done. So I'm getting a little, I'm, I'm a bit distressed that David Chom is succumbing to greed. That's what it looks like to me. And worst case scenario, he's been comp- he, he may have been compromised because there's going to always be a lot of people who are looking at this going, if, if this gets out of hand and we don't get control of it, then all of our crap is, is we can kiss it all goodbye because it, central banks and all their friends control everything. And if you don't believe it, I don't have, I don't have time to explain it to you. It should be readily evident. So, I I hate it that Dave, that someone like David Chom is doing what he's doing, but I would stay as far away from Elixir as I possibly could. I, I don't think it's I, I do not think that his heart is in the right place here. I, I got a sneaky suspicion that this is just a bad deal waiting to happen for anybody who buys it. I don't know, not investment advice, but still, it just that's just this is just getting a little weird. Anyway, so last one up is BTC Pay Server has put a a video up on their YouTube channel for a BTC Pay uh, walkthrough so that you can see what the interface looks like, how it works, what it's doing, um, how how to change settings, how to set up a store, how to set up payments, all that kind of thing. And it's pretty slick, man. It's a good looking UI. It, it looks like it's got a pretty decent user experience. Looks like it because I'm not actually use, uh, uh, experiencing it as a user. I'm just uh, doing uh, watching the walkthrough. But I've got the walkthrough video and all the stuff that I've talked about in the morning roundup in my curated Twitter timeline, which you will, which I always provide a link to in the show notes. So that will do it for the morning roundup. This is uh, Marty's Bent for Tuesday, October 30th, 2018, issue number 350, Coding Under Fire. He starts with a tweet from Dhruv Bansal. I've written a lot of code that runs inside blockchains, and it's the slowest going I've ever had as a programmer. Each line takes so much thought. It's because blockchains are the most hostile programming environment imaginable. Here are 10 reasons why. Blockchains are the most hostile programming environment imaginable. One, new. No one has any idea what they're doing. Two, concurrent. Things will happen in a way you didn't expect. Three, public. Everyone will read your code. Four, immutable. You can't update code, only publish new. Five, embarrassing. Any screw-ups or leaks will be preserved forever. Six, extortionate. Changes per... 
charges per instruction, so safety and sanity checks directly cost money. Adversarial, everyone will try to hack your code. Perilous, hacks and screw-ups cost you money. Capricious, people may realize your tokens are bullshit after all. Irresistible, you will build things anyway. Marty's bent on that is, here's a nice little reminder from our good friend Dweet, Druve, that writing code for blockchains is an extremely hostile experience as there are many moving factors to take into consideration as one constructs the software. The stakes are automatically raised considerably when you attempt to code on a blockchain for many reasons as you can see above. Depending on what decisions the team behind your blockchain of choice made when designing said blockchain, there's a possibility that you're writing code in a scripting language that is relatively new to the scene and woefully untested. If this weren't daunting enough, once merged into the main branch, your code is, is stuck in the wild under the watchful gaze of hackers looking to exploit any vulnerabilities that you may have overlooked, and there's little much you can do to fix that mistake without the consensus of the whole network. To make matters worse, an engineer must have the economic cost of her code in mind to make sure the execution of her script isn't too expensive as, it, as to dissuade people from running the code in the first place. And we're not even done yet. All of these minute details are imperative because you are building on a living network that cannot be stopped at any time and this network just may happen to secure tens of billions of dollars, a lot of which may be vulnerable if certain exploits somehow make it into production. Talk about a stressful building environment. This is why, to me, a tech-ignorant pleb, it is extremely important to keep the attack surface of the blockchain you favor as small as possible. That's why I favor Bitcoin in the long term. It is focused on a very narrow yet extremely important use case, and the people working to build out the protocol are laser-focused on decreasing the attack surface. Next up in the bit is, oh, they scared. And uh, he uh, posts up a, uh, um, uh, he posts up uh, Francis Pouliot's uh, tweet, Janet Yellen, I am not a fan of Bitcoin. Let me tell you why. Former central banker-in-chief proceeds to meticulous five-minute rant against Bitcoin, robotically spewing scripted FUD talking points to finance bank VIPs. They're scared by Bitcoin. And Francis provides a link to the YouTube where, where she does that. But I, I, I could see that. So Marty's been, uh, simply says, presented without comment. Yeah, there's no reason to comment on Janet Yellen spewing FUD. Uh, it's not like she hadn't done it before. Final thought, there's no swifter kick in the dick than the sound of a hacksaw waking you up an hour before your alarm goes off. Boy, that ain't no shit. Okay, uh, I want to thank you, Marty. Uh, you, uh, we want to thank Marty for Marty's Bent. Um, you can find Marty Bent at Marty Bent on Twitter, and you should go follow him, man. His dude's uh, great. And also, make sure that you go visit uh, at TFTC21. That's Tales from the Crypt. That's uh, Marty Bent's uh, um, uh, podcast. is one of my all-time, all-time favorite podcasts. Absolutely all-time favorite podcasts. And the one he did yesterday, or the one that I listened to yesterday, which is the last one that he has, has released as, as far as I know, um, is absolutely just it's just it's great it is a great discussion and it's but it's not 
a great discussion just because of the content. It's a great discussion because these two guys are just riffing off of each other while they just swill like two bottles of Jack or, well, actually they don't, they don't drink Jack and drink much better whiskey than that. But like basically just pound two bottles of whiskey, have, you know, shooting the shit with each other. And it's, it's a, it's a fun time, man. It's, it's a, uh, it is definitely not a waste of your time to go listen to that one or any of the other ones that Marty's done. So that'll do it for Marty's bent. We are now going to continue on with Bitcoin 101 and take up where we left off. This is a Coindesk, uh, Coindesk.com article that has been updated, uh, been updated like recently, 28th of January, 2018. This is the second part entitled "Why Use Bitcoin." Last uh, yesterday, I read "What Is Bitcoin?" So this is "Why Use Bitcoin." Bitcoin was originally created as an alternative decentralized payment method. Unlike international bank transfers at the time, it was low cost and almost instantaneous. An added benefit for merchants, less so for users, was that it was irreversible, removing the threat of expensive chargebacks. However, the improvement in domestic payment methods and the rapid development of alternative non-cryptocurrency forms of international transfers has reduced Bitcoin's advantage in this area, especially given its increasing fees. Aside, they're not increasing anymore. And frequent network bottlenecks. An aside, that's not happening anymore. Furthermore, the increasing oversight and regulation to prevent money laundering and illegal transactions have restricted the cryptocurrencies used for privacy reasons. In some parts of the world, Bitcoin is still a more efficient and cheaper way to transfer money across borders, and several remittance startups make use of this feature. Bitcoin's cost and speed advantages, though, are being eroded as traditional channels improve and the network fees continue to increase. And liquidity remains a problem in many countries. Also, a number of large and small retailers accept the cryptocurrency as a form of payment, although reports suggest that demand for this function is not high. And many individuals feel more comfortable holding a part of their wealth in securely stored Bitcoin, where a central authority cannot block access or take a cut. Recently, Bitcoin seems to have assumed the role of investment asset as traders, institutional investors, and small savers have woken up to the potential gains from price appreciation. According to some sources, Bitcoin is increasingly being used for money laundering. Oh my God. <sighs> but we know, that <clears throat> we know that you wouldn't do that. And anyway, Bitcoin is not, as is commonly believed, a good vehicle for money laundering, extortion, or terrorism financing, since it is both traceable and transparent, as a spate of recent arrests can attest. So that was authored by uh, Noel Archison, or Arkison, sorry. Um, and I got to comment, make a couple of comments here. The, this BS where they keep saying about increasing fees and, and the frequent bottlenecks, yeah, that started happening in, uh, last year and the, and the year before we would see these things. And then we implemented SegWit. And since SegWit has hit damn near 50% usage, you know what we're not seeing? We're not seeing high fees anymore. And we're not seeing bottlenecks in the network anymore. And if we are seeing bottlenecks in the network, they are nowhere close to the to the magnitude of what they were in the run up to the 2017, 
you know, into 2017 blow off top. And all the, the few months before that where Roger Ver was running around screaming, high fees, bottleneck, high fees, bottleneck, all that subsided. And we knew it was all going to subside when SegWit went in because of the way that it works. We don't. We no longer have these problems. So CoinDesk, could you please, please, for the love of God, go update your your uh, your why use Bitcoin article a little bit because none of that is true any longer. Thank you. So that'll do it for Bitcoin 101. Terrible Joke Corner is brought to you by at Bad Dad Jokes on Twitter. Do I enjoy making courthouse puns? Guilty. That's a good one. I like that one. That's a nice bad joke. Well executed bad joke. Thank you very much. And the Daily Train Wrecked is brought to you by Hillary Clinton. Apparently, Hillary Clinton recently sat down for an interview in front of a live audience. And uh, the uh, interviewer asked the question, what do you think about Cory Booker saying, kick them in the shins, essentially? To which Hillary replies, well, that was Eric Holder. Interviewer, oh, sorry. Hillary Clinton, I know, they all look alike. Yeah, and I, I there, there's just there's no reason there's no reason for that, Hillary, or anybody else. There's I mean that's just even if you're gonna joke about about this this stuff, um, you if you're if you're going to stand on a platform where everybody else is a racist but you, and then you make a racist joke, uh, guess what? You're a racist. You know, there's just, you know better than that. I know better than that. Everybody knows better than that. They know, they, I mean, even if you're joking about it, it's still offensive. And you don't get a pass because you're Hillary Clinton. You do not get a pass. You are racist, Hillary Clinton. going to do it for me wrapping up the show um you can find me at b-e-n-n-d-7-7 on twitter and from there you can find all my all my other miscreant deeds and other places that i post stuff and um my this or this podcast is now on itunes it is also on google play and i'm awaiting word from stitcher to see if they've approved it for over there but i am live on itunes i am live on google play it would be uh, really helpful if you guys would go pull the uh, start listening to the podcast off of either iTunes or Google Play. Um, please give me a rating. Please leave a comment and please leave criticism so that I know what it is that I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong and be able to get ideas from you guys as to what uh, other things that you really would rather hear about, not hear uh, as much of, you know, thing, things like that. Um, I got a thick skin. Uh, 
I, I can, you know, criticism is necessary. You cannot get better without criticism. So um, I'm, ask, you know, pleasantly asking you guys, go like, you know, subscribe, listen, share, like, rate, review, and give me some criticism. Uh, so I can make this uh, something that you want to listen to even more. Uh, uh, with that said, I'm going to let you guys go. Have a wonderful day. Don't fall for FUD. Don't buy stable coins. Don't buy shit coins. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.